if you can just close your eyes for a second, I, I just want to set the stage in talking about Jesus. They dragged her against her will, kicking and screaming. It was obvious from her tangled hair and disheveled clothing that she had been given very little time to put her clothes on. Her face was smeared with tears and dirt. She twisted and squirmed, trying to escape the men's vice-like grip on her arms. She was small and helpless, surrounded not only by angry men, but also by the disgust reserved for loose, immoral women. They flung her into the dirt on the street, right at the feet of the popular rabbi from Nazareth. They didn't need a judge or jury. Hadn't she been caught in the very act of adultery by the teachers of the law and the Pharisees? They stood back from her with sneers and folded arms and waited to see what Jesus would do. You can open your eyes. Have you ever wondered about this story? If your Bible was turned to this passage, I'm positive it would have the same heading that my Bible has. And that's the heading of a woman, the woman caught in adultery, right? The woman caught in adultery. Caught in the very act and thrown by the Pharisees in front of Jesus for judgment. Caught. Completely alone, right? Completely alone, caught in the, in the act of adultery, right? Where's the man? I mean, you don't commit adultery by yourself. Where's the man? If she was caught, there had to be a man. So why do we call it the story of the woman caught in adultery? Why isn't the story of the man and woman caught in adultery. Can a woman commit adultery by herself? Obviously not. It's impossible. So what about the biblical law that the men were so zealously upholding that they referenced the law of Moses? They said, the law of Moses dictates that she should be stoned. What is that law? That law is Leviticus 20.10. It's also found in Deuteronomy. It says this, If a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. Both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. So where's homeboy? Where's he at? They're so zealously defending the law. based on their double standard. Why did these teachers of the law forget to arrest the other guilty party? Why was he allowed to grab his clothes and scurry away? The truth was their actions were governed by more a double standard than it was a desire for righteousness. As we tackle this topic... Um, our desire is Jesus. Our example is Jesus. We're gonna we're gonna put both double standard and religion aside. You know, it's interesting when I when I 
when I was preparing for this over the last couple of weeks, I kept thinking about like one of those, uh, you know, melodramas on TV, like a court drama. And I, and I wanted to walk up here and be like, I'm going to prove without any reasonable doubt today that, you know, and I was going to, you know, I felt like, you know, I felt like an attorney and I was going to just, and I'm like, no, cause you know what? Part of the beauty of, of our faith is there's times there's doubts, but we look to Jesus. That's what our faith is based on. It's not based on something tangible. It's based on belief in Him. We aren't told what Jesus wrote in the dust. But we're shown that Jesus refused to be pulled into their biased judgment. Jesus would not support a culture that favored one gender over the other. He would not do it and He demonstrated it. He refused to approve a double standard. He rebuked the cry of this corrupt age, shouting, stone the woman and let the man flee. So he squatted down and he rode in the dust. They come to him with, what are you going to do, Jesus? She's caught in the act. and He ignores their obvious hypocrisy. He doesn't get goaded into an argument. He just squats down, starts writing in the dust. Finally, he rose up and he spoke. And his words were quiet and few. But they stripped his audience absolutely bare. If any of you is without sin, then it should be you that throws the first stone at her. What does he do? He kneels back down, starts writing in the dust some more. One by one, they drop their stones and they just slinked away until no one was left. He looks at her and goes, Woman, where are your accusers? Where are the ones who've got case against you? Where are the ones who are trying to impose their judgment over you right now? She said, Lord, there is none. What a beautiful thing to say, because Jesus was still there. But see, he already demonstrated that he wasn't there judging her, right? He was he was the only one left. And he's demonstrating his love. He's not demonstrating judgment. He's not demonstrating religion. He's not demonstrating the law of Moses. None, Lord. He said, neither do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more. Jesus. Jesus' words were few, but they spoke volumes. Sin is sin whether committed by man or committed by woman. Sin is sin. Every one of us will stand before God in judgment and not one of us will be able to hide or slip away. This wasn't the first nor the last time that Jesus contradicted everyone's beliefs and leveled the playing field by destroying the double standards. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. This whole 
chapter is awesome. We're going to kind of skip around, but here's my challenge to you guys. Um, read and study this whole chapter. It is awesome. So John chapter 4, if you didn't bring your Bibles, we're going to have it right up here behind us, reading from the New Living Translation. So we're reading 4 through 9 right now. Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sakar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? If we can pause right there. I find it interesting. Food plays an interesting theme in this passage. So Jesus was alone, resting, because the disciples were going to get food. I want to point something out here. And there's times, this is why we study the word. Um, This Samaritan woman was drawing water at the hottest time of the day. We're going to see later that she references how deep the well is. How deep it is. How much work it would be to draw the water back up. She's there at around noontime for one reason and one reason only. The other women come in the cool of the morning. They draw their water for the day. And that's when the other women are there. So that's why this woman does not go in the cool of the morning. She wants to avoid their scoffs, their stares, their condescension, their preaching, their gossiping, their judgment. So she says, to heck with it. I don't care if it's more work and I don't care if it's hot. I'll go when they're not there. Okay? So that's why she's there. So Jesus asks for a drink of water and she's immediately taken aback. Your people don't talk to my people and men don't talk to women. It's, you know, very taken aback. We're going to jump down to verse 13. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. You can see that there's a little bit more meaning behind that. But but still, she expresses a hunger. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a woman. Or I don't have a husband, the woman replied. (laughs) Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. So let's, let's gauge her response. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? This is amazing. This is is not some flighty dumb bimbo. This is a sharp 
minded woman with a, a theological question. She immediately recognizes authority. She immediately recognizes authority. You must be a prophet. I mean, you sat there and told me my life. You must be a prophet. So she she doesn't hide her head in shame. She doesn't lie and say, oh, no, no, not me. You're thinking of the floozy down the street. You know, no. She immediately replies and goes, I've got someone who might have answers. And my friends, he has the answers. When we look to Jesus, we find the answers. I love her response. Uh. Jesus replied. Oh, listen, listen to his reply. It's not a token patronizing response. It's like, oh, you cute thing. It's, you know, just give me the water and go about your way. He gives her a deep, he didn't water it down. He's like, all right, you got a good question. I got a good answer. Believe me, dear woman, Jesus replied, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Holy moly. What a reply. Talk about respect. We see Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, almighty God, show this woman respect. This woman we already prophesied to about the five husbands and the one you're with now. Isn't your husband... But what do we see here? Him treat her with respect. Respect. Jesus' title that he called himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man. I, the Son of Man. He often referred to him as that. It means the Son of Humanity. It's not the Son of Man like male. It's the Son of Humanity. It's the Son of Humankind. He, he, He would say that to drive home the point, I am flesh and blood. I am just a man. So that we could be encouraged because we look to him, our perfect example. The woman, so just to kind of close it, wrap that up, for God, this is Jesus says the end of his reply, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman is well aware of the level of respect that she's being addressed with. This is her response. I could see her doing it with a with a kind of a squinted eye kind of leaning in. I I know the Messiah is coming. The one who will be called Christ. When he comes, he will explain, announce, declare, make known. He will explain everything to us. You know, eyebrows raised, short little re- reply. She brings up the Messiah the one called Christ. I know when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. You can just almost hear her asking. (laughs) Jesus' reply. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. My friends, I want you to grab a hold of something. This woman, this harlot, is the first 
person Jesus ever proclaimed to that I am the Messiah. Not his disciples, not his followers, not certainly not the Pharisees. This woman was the first person he declared, he made known, he revealed, I am the Messiah. When we're studying scripture, we never should pass something like this. This is, this is gold, man. This is, this is a huge, heavy nugget. I know I've said it, but I want to make abundantly clear what type of woman this was. A woman who avoided the crowds didn't want to put up with the scoffs and the looks and the stares and the judgment. A woman who chose the hottest part of the day to get her water for that very reason. A woman whose nighttime activities might have made it difficult that she get up early in the morning anyway. This is a woman of ill repute. Her standing in the community, very well defined. Very well known. And this woman is the first person that Jesus revealed to that he was the Messiah, him being well aware of her past and her present. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them have the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar besides the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. I love the disciples. I'm sorry, but... Brothers, and I love to eat. Man, brothers got to eat. But there, this phenomenal thing has taken place. This life-changing moment, not just life-changing for her, for an entire village, is taking place. And all these guys can do is come back and go, what's he doing talking to her? Of course, they don't have the, the fortitude to 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 say it, but Jesus knows their thoughts. All right, all right, I'm going to learn some Spanish. All right. <laughs> Thanks, brother. And now, you know, they, you have people streaming back, and all they can think about is Jesus needs to eat. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And I, and, I, and I like that. I like that response from Jesus. I don't like it. I have a type of food. I mean, I was like, I have a type of food you know nothing about, suckers. I mean, that's, suckers was in there somewhere. And King James took it out. I don't know. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other, oh my gosh. God bless them. They, they were the foundation of helping grow the, the, church, the New Testament church. But sometimes brothers are just dense. Ladies and men sometimes were just dense. Gosh. Then Jesus explains, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. 
You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. Wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for the harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. And now, look up. And now, you will get together the harvest. And I, I truly believe he did it like that. I, I believe he did. And now you will get together the harvest. Look. And here comes the masses of people coming to him. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. Long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus taught this woman of ill repute. Correct? He explained theological wisdom to her. He taught her, right? Why? Jesus is always a man of purpose. Why? Why did he teach her? Because his desires are that not one would perish? That not one would perish? His desire is that all would know him? Right? And so he will use anything and anyone that he wants to. Even a woman. Even a woman of ill repute. He is God and you are not. He is God and I am not. Why would he do that? Because he is God and we are not. That's why he would do it. That was his response to Job. I, I love... And I'm... <laughs> Jesus taught and made known truth to this woman for one reason. He saw her evangelistic destiny. He saw her evangelistic destiny. And my friends, let's not let there be any mistake. This woman was an evangelist. Now, if you can find anywhere in the Bible where it uses the phrase together, the office of evangelist, like if where that phrase is used together, you know, then we can have a debate uh, over whether or not she was an evangelist. You know, well, she doesn't sit in the office of an evangelist. Well, that's because that, that phrase, office of an evangelist, doesn't exist in the Bible. That's something we use to help put titles that make us feel good about ourselves because I sit in the office of a pastor. She's an evangelist. This is the same woman that avoided the crowds because she didn't want the glares and the looks. 
She just wanted her water, but yet what happens when she is faced with the truth? What happens when she is presented with teaching from, from Jesus? She leaves the water behind and runs to the village to tell everybody about what? About Jesus. Her eyes are now on Jesus, not on herself. We run into town and we tell everybody about Jesus with our eyes on Him. And they came in and they believed her. They followed her. I mean, I like the honesty. Hey, we kind of believed her before, you know, you know, but now since we met you, we really believe her. She was an evangelist. God saw the, the evangelistic destiny and purpose on her life. He knew that if he taught her that she would declare to others the good news of Jesus Christ. He knew that a crowd was on its way back. And that they, that the disciples were get to, they were going to get to enjoy the harvest without doing any of the work. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Others had already done the work and now you will get to gather the harvest. Verse 39, again. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see Him, they begged Him to stay in their village. So He stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear His message and believe. My friends, I respect your opinions and I respect your backgrounds and I respect your upbringing and I respect your your theological foundations but do not tell me that Jesus will not use women to evangelize don't tell me that God the Father sent his son saw his son tortured and beaten and humiliated and shamed and he bore the shame of the world and the anger and the wrath of God upon him don't tell me that God did that so that he could only, so that then only 50% of the population could be so bold as to teach others about what Jesus did. It makes no sense. It's not in the, it just doesn't reflect the heart of God or the character of Jesus Christ. Jesus revealing himself to the Samaritan woman at the well and choosing her Sounds an awful lot like Jesus choosing the man Saul who tortured and killed and and exposed and assassinated Christians. Sounds an awful lot like it. He will use who he will use. And then he uses Saul the Jew of all Jews is what he called him. The Jew of all Jews. I'm the Jew of all Jews. My upbringing, my... I'm the Jew of all Jews! And God uses him to bring the message to who? The Gentiles. Why? Because God is God and you are not and I am not. In verse 35, he said... I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. What Jesus was saying to his disciples was this. Look at this situation in a new way. Your world's view is too small. You're questioning why I'm even talking to this woman and you don't see the mass of people that are on their way back. You don't have the vision for what I was doing. You're questioning, you don't even have the guts to say, 
Why are you talking to her? But you don't see my purpose. Your way, your view is too small. Wake up and look around. That was Jesus' response to his disciples. This woman was taught by Jesus and received the truth of Jesus into her heart. The result of this liberating revelation of Jesus Christ, she ignored her circumstances, her social standing, her gender, and she ran to the town doing the work of an evangelist. And a pretty stinking anointed evangelist, I might add. I would love to have the anointing and the results of this woman's evangelistic work. Verse 42, Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. The harvest was flooding in. Flooding in. Streaming in. And all Jesus' most trusted and learned companions could do was question his methods and ask him if he had eaten. I find that funny. Don't tell me that men of God always get it right, my friends. That's why I tell you every single week, get in the Word. I, that's why we put the Word up here, so you can see it. I'm not up here preaching my opinion. I'm my opinion's worth, I don't know, it's its alright, I guess. <laughs> I mean, what's an opinion worth? I mean, you know, it's got value, but it's certainly there's no life-changing power to it. For all those men of God that say a woman can't preach or teach or evangelize or pastor or plant churches, I quote my teacher, wake up and take a look around. We're going to preach Jesus again next week. And then after that, we're going to jump back into to Paul. And we're going to kind of tie some things together. We're going to talk about the context to which the letter was written. We already did that at the very beginning when I did the intro. Talked about what was going on in Ephesus, the temple of Artemis. You know, all the things that were going on in the church. The theme of false doctrine that starts the book, middle of the book, ends the book. So the whole letter... Just that theme of false doctrine and Paul trying to equip the church and equip its pastor to to combat false doctrine. That being the context of which it was said. But I, I, here's where I want to challenge you. I ch- get in the Word and look at Jesus and look at His words and look at His actions and what He demonstrates to us and come back and tell me that I'm wrong, that Jesus would not use a woman to bring them to His Father. Okay? You know, I, I'm I'm often wrong. I just, my friends, I don't believe in no way, shape, or form am I wrong on this. Um, so let's let's study the word together. Let's get hungry together. I encourage you guys come back next week and look around. And who's not here this week and call me? And be like, you got to be back here next week. This was good. It was good stuff. And come back next week because you know what? There's a lot of churches that just won't tackle this subject. It's just easier to, you know, sidestep it and to, and to go to something else. Well, you know what? That's not what we're doing because this book also is about leadership. And I'd be a pretty crummy leader if I sidestepped this. 
Let's pray.